Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ at 102.1 FM. It is your local community independent radio station. I'm very excited to have in the studio with me David McBride. Hello, David. Hello, Andy. You may have heard of David McBride. He has been in the news a little bit in recent years. David is a whistleblower, uh, an Australian military whistleblower. He leaked what is called the Afghan Files about... All kinds of worrying happenings in Afghanistan where you were stationed over there with the military and you thought it was in the public interest to know about what was going on. Um, thanks very much for coming on the air to talk to us. No, not at all. Thanks for having me. A few years ago, I got in touch with you and it was a bit dicey at the time, legal issues or something like that about coming out. So I'm very happy to have you on here and I think... Um, it's so important as well to support people like yourself who are in the court system and facing a lot of um, penalties for doing what is in all of our interests. And in some ways, I think all of us will go to trial when you go to trial because it's about public interest and public knowledge. So very glad to have you here. Yeah, no, I love that. All of us go to trial. Um, yeah, I think the, the government's on trial and the Australian people are prosecuting them. We've both been down this morning at the Labor Conference outside the Brisbane Convention Centre talking about AUKUS. There was a rally there. We're going to hear a bit more over the course of the show about what David did and why and what comes next for him. But to start off with, David, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? How did you end up um, as a whistleblower? Yeah, well, it's a pretty interesting story. I certainly didn't grow up as an anarchist i grew up uh very much in the establishment and went to uh, the right universities and uh right schools and went to uh, military college in the uk sandhurst and i was in the british army and i uh, eventually joined the australian army and i was a lawyer for them and i began to believe that we had lost our way as a, as a country and our military forces were a bit like we were selling soap powder. We were just making stuff up, you know. We were making up, we were making heroes that weren't heroes. We were making villains that weren't villains. We were pretending to win a war when we were losing the war. And um, we were li- generally lying to the public uh, at the drop of a hat. Now, that bothered me. That's not what Australia's about. We are meant to be... a a truth-loving nation. We're meant to be a, a, a law-abiding nation, and I um, 
I had enough of it in 2013. I made internal complaints to say we're not following the law. And it was, it was really about the leadership as much as anything else, to say yeah, I believe they were covering up war crimes. I believe they were looking for scapegoats. That's how I first got onto it. They were trying to put decent soldiers in jail in order to protect bad soldiers. And the only reason they wanted to do that was because the the bad, the really bad soldiers were famous people and they thought, well, if they go down, the, you know, politicians may go down. So um, they just wanted some scapegoats. And that sickened me to say you, you would sacrifice good soldiers in order to protect bad soldiers uh, because you particularly wanted to protect the minister's popularity. I mean, that's just not on. That's possibly the modern war we've learnt from the United States where everything is... Everything is just a PR exercise. Now, I believe it not only was it bad in Afghanistan, but if we keep on going like that, we're just going to go into another war, another unjust, unjustified, unwinnable war where more Australian soldiers are going to die. And that is wrong. You don't do that. You don't sacrifice the lives of Australian soldiers. Soldiers have to fight more. They have to die in war. But the trade-off is that you don't bullshit them, you don't send them to places where they can't win uh, for political goals. And yeah, so I'm, not, I'm fighting about the last war, and I'm also um, I'm worried about the next war. And it was very good to hear you singing to this morning, Andy. I liked your song, Don't Kill People. We all got singing in the chorus. Uh, with a Labor Party conference behind us. That was one of the high points, maybe the high point of the rally. Uh, you're a, you're a multi-talented. Not only do you do the radio, but you do your own songs in front of the crowd. Very, very good. Oh, it's a simple message, don't kill people. It's uh, worth, <laughs> worth remembering. Yeah, it's good chorus. Um, so let's talk about the Afghan files, um, mm-hmm. as they have come to be known. I suppose originally they weren't called that. They were just a, some documents that um, you allegedly uh, were involved in giving to the AVC. What was in it, and why did you think that was important to leak it and give it to the public? Well, it's not allegedly anymore. I've, I, from the very beginning, I told the police that I did give them to the ABC. And because I don't want the case to be judged on whether I actually gave the documents, I, I want to own what I did, unlike my enemies. I'm quite happy to stand up there and say, yep, I did it and I was justified. And, yeah, they were just documents, uh, secret documents, everything in the, in the Afghan war was marked secret, whether it was or it wasn't. Uh, not much of it is truly secret in the sense that it won't affect Australia's national security. Most of it would detail crimes, uh, detailed uh, cover-ups, and that is not classified information in the true sense of the word. In fact, under the definition of classified information, you cannot use it. It's illegal to, to use classifications to stamp something secret when actually you know it's a crime and you just want to keep it in the archives forever. Um, That is actually an offence. But, of course, the people that decide whether it's an offence or not are the same people that are actually abusing the system to cover it up. So I took a lot of documents and I gave them to the ABC to say there is something very wrong in the Defence Force, and mainly because we weren't defending the country anymore. We were simply defending the government, that is, putting out whatever good news stories the government wanted for the day. 
And that's a problem because you can't win wars like that. You can't win wars if you just keep saying, oh, we're beating the enemy even if we're not. You know, this this is good even if we're not. Um, we're going to give a medal to this guy because he's a brave hero even if he's not. That is not good. You know, that's not what we teach our children to say, just make stuff up. So the documents, in my um, opinion, proved that we were... Uh, the defence force at the highest levels was just full of shit and we just made stuff up. And we knew uh, so much of the things we were giving to the uh, press were lies. The fact we were winning the war, we knew that was a lie. The fact that our allies were good, reliable people, we knew that was a lie. We knew the whole thing was going to come falling down the minute uh, the US helicopters took over, took off from the sort of embassy roof in Kabul. And we knew that some of our so-called heroes were not heroes, and some of the people we tried to put in jail didn't deserve to go to jail either. So the whole thing, as I said, was a charade um, run, uh, run basically by PR people in order to make the government of the day look good, and that is not good enough. You presumably had access to a lot of different files and you, you didn't leak everything. There were specific things that you chose about, um, you know, some of the uh, misdeeds carried out by the military in Afghanistan and some about internal conflicts within the military as well, the things that you leaked. Why did you choose to leak the things that you did? Yeah, I spent, a, I spent quite a lot of time gathering the right documents. Uh, I knew... In, on my 2013, my second deployment to Afghanistan, I knew that I was going to do something. First, I made an internal complaint. I knew that the internal, well, I was pretty much sure that the internal complaint would go nowhere because effectively I was complaining uh, to the very people um, who had committed the cover-ups and knowingly, um, you know, created sort of false heroes and, and, and false villains and so I knew that they weren't going to be very happy about my complaint but I had to do it anyway and in that uh, intervening eight months I spent a lot of time in the uh, office gathering documents, going through I had access, yeah I was a legal officer a, a major which is sort of a middle rank but I, it, because I was at special forces I had a, a, what they call a top security top secret uh, positive vetting security clearance which is the highest one you can get where they have to ask you a lot of questions about your personal life it's, it's a two-hour interview and so it's pretty it's high clearance and there's various other things that i had as well which i can't even talk about but i um i uh was able to look through the documents and it took me a long time but to look through anything where we lied where we said something to the public which we knew wasn't true I, I downloaded that and I downloaded another one. I didn't give everything I had to the ABC. No, that's correct. I, 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 some things I thought were too sensitive uh, and they needed... Um, it was, a, it was a, like a jigsaw puzzle. It was a pattern of behaviour where we habitually lied to the public. We knew that something was right. Um, or something was wrong and we would, would be put out a false story. So I just kept gathering documents to say that was a false story, um, that was a phony medal, that was a questionable uh, killing, um, to put it all together, a bit like what Chelsea Manning, I guess, did for WikiLeaks. 
put it all together and yes kept some of it at home eventually uh, after the afghan file story came out i knew that i'd probably be in the frame because the documents were could, could have been quite easily traced back to me all i had to do was a search to say it, what one person because some of the documents were put on the internet by the abc so all they would have had to do is search to say who's printed these documents and it would have come up with one name and since i was already an, an internal agitator uh, to say we're doing all these things wrong it was pretty clear who was the leaker so i went to spain to avoid getting arrested and they raided my house uh, and uh, they found the documents there at first i was upset because i was like oh i should have destroyed them but then um afterwards i thought no i'm glad i didn't destroy them because if i destroyed them it would have made me look guilty it would have made me look like i had something to hide i wanted to keep the documents because i thought the documents would eventually vindicate me because the documents proved that there were crimes committed and they were trying to cover up those crimes and we were not following the law like we were meant to do we were not telling the truth like we were meant to do so i was happy to have that evidence and now the police have been good they haven't destroyed everything the evidence is now uh the evidence against me to a certain extent in the court case and it, you know, it's the evidence that i gave to the or the abc or had in my possession in my house and that will vindicate me because i can say you know turn to pop folder nine or turn to document 22 and you can and you can see there there was a crime and and this crime was covered up and uh therefore it's down in black and white now had i destroyed the documents i wouldn't be able to say that they would have just been painted as some sort of fantasist but the documents are there none of it is on my word or about what i saw on a mountain and where my own recollection could be uh, called into question it's all written in documents not written by myself written by the defense force or members of the defense force and um the documents i believe will prove me right the government of course in the in the trial i'm i'm facing in about three months time will be trying to make sure that no one can read those documents that no one can discuss those documents and the fact of whether i was justified to reveal their contents will never actually um, come into play so there's going to be quite a lot of legal argument to say um, was it my duty to do so, uh, to become a whistleblower, or was it not my duty? And I think it was. As a lawyer, you know, I had an obligation to report crime, even amongst my own organisation. I had an ob- obligation to take it further, even if my organisation said, no, there's nothing to see here. And as an officer, I had a duty to uh, protect the country and do the right thing by the country. And if they were just fobbing me off, when they were breaking the law and lying to the public, I had a duty to keep going until I got some sort of a resolution. In a bit, we'll talk a bit more about your upcoming trial, but I am interested in um, when you're in the military, um, how easy is it to be somebody who is kind of agitating for change? There's a real culture, there's a strict hierarchy for one, but a, a real culture of you know solidarity amongst the military or something. Was it hard to take that step to be somebody who would show a bit of dissent? And was there a kind of um, consequences against you for doing that while you were in the military? Yeah, no, it was very hard. And I had to keep reassuring myself that my moral compass was correct, even though I was going against the grain, and that is hard. 
and even when I was there, I'd become an, an agitator because no matter how much you think you're right, when you are the one voice against a thousand, you do, you lose your uh, sense of identity, you lose the fact you're no longer really a soldier, you're an outcast, and I had to try very hard to keep the faith to say, no, you are right, they are wrong, there might be thousands of them, but we have a, a moral code, we have a sense of duty that we are meant to be complying with, and we are not doing it, and I know that I'm right, and I might be a minority of one, but um, I think it was Gandhi that said sometimes a minority of one will win if you are right. And I felt I was right, but it's not an easy path to take, you know. You, you, I, it gets quite close to suicide at times when you think you just can't win. Uh, caused the disintegration of my family. I had two young kids at the time. They're now 16 and 18, but uh, they were six and uh, six and eight when they, when I started. So uh, it's, it's all they've known is in their lives. It does take a toll. It's all very well, but doing the right thing and standing up, but it does take a toll on those around you. It's a hard road, and I, you know, I can't complain because I signed up for it. I'm a soldier, and I swore on a Bible in uh, front of an Australian flag to do the right thing by this country, and I intend to do it. But I wouldn't say that it's been a, a bed of roses either. It's, I guess it's, I laugh at myself sometimes because it's the battle I always won on as a kid, you know. It's a, it's a larger-than-life struggle. But uh, it is truly a larger-than-life struggle where you, it's, you're not at all sure that you're going to make it to the end. In the time since you released that information, a lot has changed about the Australia's role in Afghanistan and the perceptions of it because um, there's been the Brereton Inquiry into uh, misdeeds committed by the uh, SAS in Afghanistan and there's been the libel case, uh, the defamation case uh, by Ben Robert Smith and everything that's gone in the, into the public knowledge from that. Um, how has it felt observing all this as somebody who, one, I guess, knew about this originally, but also who helped make this public and is still sort of risking prison because of it? Yeah, no, it's been good. It's, and it's good to hear you verbalise it because why get stuck? Can't see the wood from the trees often, but things have definitely gone in my direction. I sort of thought they would because I knew I was right. But doesn't always go smoothly and uh yeah i wished i'd got a, one of my big regrets is i wished i'd got a bet on me uh, uh triumphing with sports bet about five years ago because uh, the odds would have been enormous then but now slowly slowly the brereton report came out and that can only help me to say things were not what they seemed and he's said a couple of very, you know, damning things, 39 murders, and he was a very meticulous sort of guy um, by 19 people. He also said things like, if this is true, this is the worst thing, the most disgraceful uh, episode in Australia's military history. Now, that's pretty strong words for someone who's a Supreme Court judge. So that can only help me. And then there was the Ben Robert Smith defamation trial, as you said, and that again some of the things that came out of that tangentially can only help me as well one of the witnesses said that uh ben robert smith wasn't actually 
at the top of the list to get the Victoria Cross, uh, this major medal. But he was elevated because the um, the public relations people thought he was so good looking and such good media. And it, there was other suggestions that right at the very beginning in, in 2006, he, uh, of our sort of the second stage of Australia's involvement in the Afghanistan war, that he shot a shepherd boy, a sort of unarmed kid, and got a medal for it. And that uh, showed that we, we had created the monster, that the Defence Force had used him as much as he used them. And those things can only help me because these are the sort of things I was saying that no one would have believed five years ago but to say the whole thing was a can of worms, was a pantomime where we um, we allowed, we encouraged people really uh, to do the wrong thing uh, as long as they were good looking and good talkers they could get away with it and then once the uh, the press uh, turned around and and it looked like there were going to be some negative stories, they quickly scrambled to found, find some scapegoats to throw to the uh, media machine. Now, that is all sorts of wrong in my book. You don't do that. You don't, A, enable murderers to, f- to begin with, and if someone breaks the law, you don't give them a medal, um, particularly when they end up putting uh, their other soldiers in danger by drawing uh, attention to themselves. Um, and then you don't, you certainly don't put good soldiers in jail when uh, the political winds change and you need scapegoats. So that stuff has come out tangentially. Of course, there's a very big media machine. Uh, in a fair world, my charges would have already been dropped because the people would have picked up on all of this, saying that this is all the stuff that I've been saying and it's now coming out. I mean, the, the f- another thing you didn't mention... Um, was the fall of the Kabul regime that we'd spent 20 years telling the public that we were winning the war in Afghanistan only to leave overnight and give it back to the Taliban who we were there spending six trillion dollars of taxpayer money to uh, defeat and we just gave it back to them and gave up because it was no longer politically expedient to be there. Now that isn't in some ways is even the m- more important thing for my case because I was always saying this war is just like Vietnam. It's a waste of lives. It's a waste of money. It's a political war uh, fought for political ends without any workable plan. And they knew there was no workable plan. Now, that is a scandal. That's treason. Just take a country to war uh, without any viable plan and to let your soldiers die for nothing. Uh, simply because there's an election coming up and you need to look good for the election. That That is treason. And yes, all the things that I was saying have kind of been proved now, at least tangentially, in a, in a circumstantial case. So it'll be a battle of the, um, uh, the PR departments, I guess, when I go to trial, because it's clear that what I said was right. Um, they will still be trying to make an example of me to say, even if you're right, even if terrible things are happening, uh, you don't have the ability to talk about it. Uh, they got away with that in Bernard Caleri's case. Uh, eventually the charges were dropped, but our spies in the government tell us that the charges weren't dropped to help Bernard Caleri. The only reason the charges were dropped against Bernard Caleri was because East Timor said to Australia well, we are so sick of you, we're going to go and do a deal with China 
uh, because at least uh, th- they're reliable partners. And uh, Australia then started to pay attention and said, "Oh my God, you can't you can't get in a bed with China." Okay, we'll drop the charges against Clary, but it was nothing to do with justice. Um, so things are pretty bad in Australia. Uh, I think my case will have to be run. It may be that I have to be jailed before the public realises how bad, how out of control the security services have got in that they can put people in jail even if you do report crimes, even if you do report wrongdoing, even if you do talk about unjust, unjustified wars, you might still go to jail. And that is wrong. That is not the Australia that I was brought up in. It's not the Australia I want my children and grandchildren to be brought up in. Uh, you would agree to that. You're out there at the protest today. And many, many of us, probably all the listeners, would agree with that. And uh, it's something worth fighting for. But, yeah, everything is kind of going in my direction, slowly. But it's uh, it's slow. And we'll have to wait till um, uh, the 13th of November to see how... Well, even then, it's three weeks after that. We'll have to see how it pans out. You've always been very critical of, um, I guess, the military bigwigs and the government as well. And the Brereton Inquiry is interesting. When it came was handed down in uh, 2021, um, there was such condemnation from, you know, all these high-up figures and strong words and everything. Um, do you think that there's been enough of a response to it? Or do you think that... That's been sort of swept under the carpet. How do you feel like the uh, response is going now, a couple of years on, is yeah. adequate? Yeah, no, it's very interesting. It's kind of higher-level political stuff. It's almost PhD stuff, in fact. Um, but you would get it and your listeners would get it to say it's possible the whole Burton thing, even good as it was, good as it was for me, a little bit of a smokescreen. They did something quite similar in the UK, and we can follow it. They made a big fuss about war crimes in Iraq by their special forces and other people. But it was a similar thing to uh, Brereton. And then uh, the political winds changed. It wasn't popular with polling. And the whole thing got chucked out. Not a single British serviceman um, was charged uh, after all of these charges were prepared. Now, the investigators, the military investigators, were very angry about this to say, why aren't we going ahead with these charges when we have these clear cases? And it looks like just the politicians, a bit like with the supporters of Ben Robert Smith, who still push back now, even after the judgment against him, uh, there is a certain group of voters, percentage of the population, that simply won't allow uh, soldiers to be put on trial. I'm proud to say in Britain, the BBC Panorama program, they did it. They did a very strong story about the war crimes committed by the British Special Forces in Afghanistan, and I was part of that. I gave a statement on it and an interviewed about... They gave me certain reports where uh, SAS soldiers had said about three times in the space of as many weeks, oh, we took the Afghan... Uh, prisoner back into his house and when we took him back into his house he grabbed for a grenade behind the curtain so we had to shoot him and they said that the same line was cut and pasted he grabbed a grenade behind the curtain and we had to shoot him 
uh, you know, three times from one report to the next. And I was able to say, that's a lie. That's, that, ca- that couldn't have happened like that. If someone was so negligent, SAS order to allow someone to grab a grenade when they're meant to be under your control, they'd be sacked. No one was ever sacked for it. It was it, These were murders. And some of the internal reports said they knew they were murders and nothing was done. So now that's being re-looked into again. As I said, I'm proud about that. Hopefully it's not the same thing in Australia where they made this fanfare with Brereton, but no one's been charged yet except for... Well, one other person's been charged, but the only reason he was charged was because the whole world saw him shooting dead uh, an unarmed, non-threatening Afghan sitting dead in a field, and uh, that video surfaced, and it wasn't even particularly hidden that video and uh, everybody saw that and now he's been charged but he's the only other person apart from me that's been charged it does look to me like they're deliberately going slow it wouldn't take them that long to get uh, cases together it doesn't matter whether they don't get convictions you have to get the cases together and it's for a military purpose the SAS can't begin to heal we can't get the defense force back on their feet till these trials are over and we can't keep it's more than 10 years for most of them it's looking like 12 years it's getting too long and uh yeah we need to get on with the trial so yeah who knows whether there's ever going to be any um i'm the first person and that i think that hurts the government when people say how could it be that with everything that went wrong the first person that's going to go on trial and likely go to jail is the whistleblower uh, people are like, they scratch their head. And I think as you, you started out to begin with, another pe- thing people, average Australians, scratches their head about, they say, Brereton said no one above the rank of corporal uh, was to blame. Now, the average person just does not accept that. The military, as you said, is a very hierarchical organisation and the one of the central principles is that the people at the top they take responsibility if things go wrong even if you didn't do it it was because your leadership wasn't good enough or your training wasn't good enough and you need to take responsibility and that's one thing about Brereton that doesn't sit right with me I think everything else is good but to say uh, the senior leadership can't be blamed I think they knew Uh, They had drone footage. We know that from other, uh, the Robert Smith case where it was proved that they had drone footage and they had complaints about Robert Smith in 2011. They had plenty of complaints from the Afghans. Funny enough, an an, an Afghan official who was uh, the governor of the province has finally been granted asylum in, in Australia, even though DFAT, didn't cover themselves in glory and made it very hard for these people to come to Australia. He's in Australia now and he said, we complained about SAS murdering people again and again in 2011 and 2012 when nothing happened. Now that's dynamite for my case because that says, again, it proves what I've been saying. The senior commanders, people like General David Hurley, who's now a Governor General, they must have known. They must have seen the footage. They must have seen the complaints. Sometimes they heard the complaints and they just wrote them off without even doing an inquiry. Now, that is negligence. Um, I believe it was probably complicity because Andrew Hastie, a Liberal MP who's got no reason to lie about it, said he complained about Ben Robert Smith in 2012, 2013. 
a lot of corporals complained about 2000, in 2012 about Ben Robert Smith because he got an award for leadership in 2012 on top of the VC. And they were like, you don't understand what's really going on. He should not be getting award for his 2012 uh, deployment because that was when things went way off the rails. And someone must have heard those complaints. They changed the rules of engagement in 2013. They started throwing around the word murder. I believe that that indicates that they knew what was going on. Now they're trying to pretend they didn't know anything until 2017. Uh, I think that's a lie. I think they're trying to protect the minister. I think they're trying to protect the chief of the defence force. And uh, it goes, it fits in everything else up to say that we didn't care what the truth was. We only cared what the public... Uh, relations people wanted to hear each week and if they wanted good news stories we gave them good news stories and we knew the truth but we covered up the truth now you were in afghanistan for part of the time when these offenses were taking place and it is interesting our legal system only really does individual culpability right we don't have a way to legally address the culture but i think most people assume that there was something wrong within the military that enabled this to happen. I mean, what do you think as somebody who was there and was part of the military, where does responsibility lie and, and what can be done about a broader culture within the military? Yeah, it's a good point and that's, that's my central point. It's not, I, I don't want, it doesn't give me any pleasure to see soldiers going to jail. Not only that, it won't fix anything saying it was all a, a couple of privates or a couple of corporals fault is not going to fix anything in fact that's actually going to make the situation worse we need to look at the root cause of these problems and that was not uh, a few soldiers i think the officers have become very politicized they treat the, the job as if they are public servants they don't really they say things like oh well, it's all about integrity and leadership, but they just use those as buzzwords. Really, it's all about getting promoted, and you get promoted by saying yes, you get promoted by saying everything's going good, you get promoted by putting out PowerPoint messages which uh, make everything look rosy, and you don't talk about anything bad because in case if, you, if you're the messenger of bad news, uh, that could affect your career. I think we need to look... What, what I would like to do, because I still see myself as a soldier, I don't like the idea of being a, an outsider, I would like to go back to Canberra and be a consultant to the Defence Force to try to work out how we fix the systemic uh, institutional problems where we cover up things, where we give good news all the time so we'll get promoted, and we just promote the yes man or the yes woman. Uh, we need to fix that. That's the central problem. The central problem is not the privates and the corporals. The central problem is that everybody looks the other way when there's an issue. Uh, everybody covers for each other. Nobody's prepared to stand up and say no, Minister, because that could damage their career and their, and their pay packet and their new kitchen and their new, their new car. We need to make give people a bit more backbone and say you're not there to get a promotion, you're not there to get a new car, you're there to defend Australia. And if that means uh, telling the truth and standing up tall and perhaps sacrificing something, that's what you bloody well do. 
Uh, and if you don't like that, don't join the Defence Force. Go and join Woolworths. Um, and we, um, we need to start being tough with people to say this is an honourable job, it's a great job, it's a job you can be proud of, but it's a job about doing the right thing. It's a job about a little bit of sacrifice. It's a job about standing up tall, looking people in the eye and saying that's wrong. And, um, but we need a cultural change to make that happen. We've got a few minutes left, but we should talk about your court trial that is coming up November 13. It is. You'll be in court. And it's been a bit of a battle for you to get, you know, the court out in public and uh, you're attempting to get whistleblower status and you're unsuccessful. Can you tell us what's happening in the court case and um, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, yeah, I'm not... I'm confident the law's on my side. You'd take the very basic example of the Holocaust and you'd say that even if this was legal under German law, and it was, it was clearly illegal to be to be killing people you know, a genocide now you couldn't tell me that any german soldier that didn't want to do it or spoke up against it or took records and gave them to the media or took them to britain what didn't wasn't doing the right thing that's clearly the right thing to do so there must be some exceptions to the idea you can't speak about what goes on in uniform just because you can't whether or not that question is actually going to be looked at in my trial, I don't know. We had a preliminary trial, as you pointed out, on whether I had a protection under the Public Interest Disclosure Act, which was an act, ironically, written mainly by Mark Dreyfus uh, when the Labor Party were last in power, and that it just doesn't work in that there are so many um, hurdles you have to jump over and... We weren't even allowed to call evidence because the security services were present in the court and they kept saying, oh, no, that's too secret, that's too secret, that's too secret. So we just abandoned it in the end to say, this is ridiculous. We're not actually... We can't have a hearing because you won't let us call witnesses. Um, And even a statement I'd written myself was considered too sensitive. And they can use that and they can... They're obviously just doing that just to make sure I don't get a fair trial. Uh, there's no one to, to actually look at something whether to f- decide whether it's truly secret and our listeners can work out whether things that happened in the mountains and valleys of Afghanistan over 10 years ago in a war we're no longer fighting uh, are not truly secret in the sense that they're, no, they're of no use to the Chinese. There's been about 20 detailed books are written about, you know, Ben Robert Smith, the Special Forces, what went on in Afghanistan, there's been a trial. There is so much evidence already in the public domain about the same things that I documented or in the documents that the idea that there's anything uh, truly damaging to Australia's d- defence in, uh, in my case is laughable. But they will keep on... When I try to say it was my duty to do the right thing, the security services who will be present in my trial will keep saying, you can't say that, that's too, that's too secret. So it's meant to be a, an open trial because the government is quite sensitive about that after they were criticised for the, um, the closed uh, secret trial of a guy called Witness J, who was, like me, a former soldier from Afghanistan who ended up working for a spy agency. And then... Um, he wasn't a whistleblower, but he became very angry with the way uh, the agency was being run. 
and um, he made an internal email and he was prosecuted for that but he was put in jail without anybody knowing uh, who he was and in some sort of totally uh, secret trial. Now the pub, that was highly criticised by judicial figures because uh, there, no, there was no reason for that. Now, after that, the government doesn't w- like the idea of secret trials. So they say my trial is open, but it will only be closed when um, matters of national security are discussed. But national security is laughably defined by them and in, in such a wide way that anything to do, you know, where the, the location of the toilets uh, in the base in Afghanistan is considered national security. So... It'll be interesting to see whether the, the trial is totally closed down and whether it becomes another, uh, effectively, a secret trial. I, I expect it's going to be a bit of a circus. We've also got a jury. Uh, how are they going to get 12 people um, with, with high security clearance uh, from the Canberra pool? I don't know, but that's one of the things to see how that works. So tune in, 13th of November, see what happens. We'll certainly keep following on the paradigm shift and keep you updated. Thanks very much, David, for coming on the show.